Hey, let's kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which is brought to you free every week from the folks at, well, where else? Geekinthecity.com. You can also watch us stream the show weekly every Tuesday on twitch.com forward slash geekinthecity at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. If you enjoy the show, you can also help us out over on patreon.com forward slash geekinthecity. Your support there helps us do more content and create more shows and overall make it a better experience for you, the best audience in the world. As always, always share the show and make some comments for us or give us a five-star rating on any of the platforms you enjoy listening to this show on. And with that, let's kick off this all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Why, hello, and welcome to issue 652 of Geek City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Bina Rita. And I'm your other, other host, Cable Hoshtani. Sorry about that. I thought we were getting an intro first. I was. Oh, I thought you turned it off. I turned it off for when we were doing the uh, commentaries, and I thought I had turned it back on. I was wrong. Well, here That's we are. Fine. Mm-hmm. Ta-da. How's everybody doing? <laughs> I'm, 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 also, I'm also posting to um, all the things while we're going. Ah, I knew I forgot to do something today. I need um, to find a way to automate this sucker. That'd be, that'd be nice. I'm sure there's a way. Clearly, sure um, we're all a little discombobulated today. Yes. I think everyone's been discombobulated since last Friday. Probably a, a pretty safe bet. Yeah, that, that tracks for sure. <laughs> the only kind of bets I make are the safe ones. Every <laughs> time I make risky ones, they blow up in my face. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the time I've made like a good risky bet. and it's Well, only one time. Um, <laughs> and that was at the 2019... Uh, STLV, the only Star Trek Vegas I've ever gone to. Mm. And I had like 10 bucks on me. And I'd always wanted to do this. I walked by the craps table and put 10 bucks on Snake Eyes. Uh, two things happened. A, it landed on Snake Eyes and I made 100 bucks. And B, everyone what? at that table fucking hated me because craps players are a very superstitious lot and I ruined the luck for everyone. <laughs> So I took my chips and ran. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, shit. Smart. Yeah. But that's it. That's the only time I ever did. I think. Woo. So, yeah. uh, It's been rough. For sure. Um, Yeah. That's not good, friends. 
No, I know we we're going to talk a little bit. I, I guess I'd want to give options, help, or anything instead of just railing and ranting. Well, let let's say this tonight on the show we're going to talk about Obi Wan Kenobi. Now Hello that the series is over. <laughs> yes. Hello there. Hello there. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a couple episodes of Avatar: The Last Airbender, and uh, we're probably going to talk a little more about the. Portland Horror Film Fest, which starts tomorrow, uh, yeah. Wednesday, um, here in today Portland. Today for podcast listeners. Today for podcast listeners. Um, this is the other big film fest that uh, Gwen and Brian uh, run, Gwen and Brian Callahan. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But yeah, we did want to, we kind of agreed that we wanted to start off the show talking about uh the SCOTUS decision from last week uh, concerning Roe versus Wade. <sighs> I, I feel like, like to start. I, it's well, I, it's, it's that thing where like everyone knew it was fucking coming, but it doesn't make it any less infuriating. It wasn't like we were like, wow, that came out of nowhere. They're like, no, we knew. Yeah, but no, that's true. Like it's for on. Like, I, it's, it, I think it's a rare occurrence that we know ahead of time uh, when someone's going to do something shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know a lot of people were like, or I should oh, let me back up. I, I listened to a lot of interviews with people who work at uh, different healthcare and, you know, women's, women's health clinics talking about how, like, even though they knew it was coming, it still like just really floored them on Friday, um, like there, there's, there, there's the idea that, you know, you know that it's going to happen and then the, the, the reality of it is, is, is totally different. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> we all fucking warned you around 2016 and we were told to calm down. It wouldn't ever happen, but it's like, no, it was going to fucking happen. Um, I, I guess if anything, I'm surprised it took this long. Yeah, no, I get it. I get what you mean for sure. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were waiting to see if they would get any more conservative judges uh, during the current term. But Trump isn't president anymore, so that's sort mm-hmm. of like, okay, well, I guess this is what this is what we have. Uh, now let's burn it all down. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can go on and on about like, like, should these things even be legal? Since there's a whole argument, like, you know, three of the fucking judges that got appointed in the last two, three years, or whatever, like, literally lied under oath. Mm-hmm. So, like, do we get them for perjury? Yeah, we could. They're not gonna. They're... I do appreciate that. Um... Uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez did put out a point-by-point plan of things that could be done by the people who are in elected office to mitigate all of this and change a lot of it. And they're great ideas. And I hope, I wish, I I don't wish her luck. That's, that's wrong. I hope that people follow in follow her lead um i think she is still 
while I still classify her as she's a politician like all politicians, um, I do appreciate that she still carries with her the she lets her anger um, of being someone who was not in power drive her the goals that she wants for now that she is in a position of power. Um, so she's still trying to do it. I, I've read articles that or interviews that she's given where she's real close to just going, I just, I, I just want to say fuck it and move to a farm upstate and never get into politics again. Right. Yeah. I could, and I could totally not fault her for doing that. No, I, I don't either. Um, so I do appreciate that. I, I am trying to, I think the things that I want to say um, are mostly geared towards our listeners. Um, I don't know how to say don't give up hope or, or don't. Um, it's always darkest before the dawn or anything like that. It, because I have no idea. Um, the way I forecast things, it's usually doom and gloom. So I'm trying not to do that for a case and instead encourage people to talk to one another um, and acknowledge the fact that you have a multitude of emotions and there's nothing wrong with any of that. And to um, definitely to men to talk to other men because by default, a lot of men just don't listen to women. Um, What? Yeah. So please talk to men. Especially when you hear them talking about this in ways that are not okay. Uh, even if it's just lightly uninformed all the way to utter bullshit. Just talk to them. Um, I would also encourage people, don't get into, we're going to be goaded. We're going to continue to be goaded to get into arguments that we cannot win because both sides have completely different viewpoints that do not overlap and there is not room to have a discussion or an argument or a debate where ideas will be changed or exchanged. Um, I am an atheist. There is no way I can have a conversation with an evangelical fundamentalist because we disagree at the outset that there is a God. So I can't be swayed by arguments of religion and they can't be swayed by anything else, but. Well, and the infuriating thing is that, you know, in the United States, it's, it's only been like one generation since like religious groups didn't care outside of like the Pope saying you can't get an abortion, you can't get divorced. Um, American Christians did not have a strong opinion one way or the other. It was intentionally politicized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that that is also why the argument, trying to argue that point with folks on the front line isn't going to work. It's all about finding the people who are actually making money or gaining power or both out of this those are the people to go after. Those are always the people to go after and they're at the top and they are far removed from us. Yep. So 
I, yeah, I have nothing else to, to, to contribute to that other than there are, there are no ways to do that except by extra legal means. And I'm not going to discuss any of those on air. Right. Um, um, yeah. I guess you know, one of the things I'd want to add is that I know a big chunk of our listeners are, are West coast people. And we are lucky in that we are in this kind of uh, more progressive, liberal, whatever kind of enclave out here. But A, that can change really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you cannot get complacent, like at all. Uh, complacency is what got us here in the, ah, uh, it's not, that it doesn't matter. It does matter. I know, like, people just do the quips of, like, you know, vote. And you get mad at that because you're like, well, I am fucking voting. There is still some truth to that. The majority of Americans don't vote. Mm-hmm. Like, they just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that allowed, like, the GOP to gerrymander us into this shithole. Um, Texas is not as red as people think. Nope. Um, uh, progressives and and what Democrats often win the majority of the votes in Texas, but the way it's gerrymandered, it is nigh impossible for them to actually secure those seats. So There's... saying like, well, just fuck Texas and write those kinds of places off doesn't help. No, you have to help those states. Yeah. Um, so if you live in a place like Oregon or Washington or California, who they, they basically have formed like this alliance too. all the governors are making these, which is great. The Northwest um, Abortion Access Fund. I, I haven't. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh well, that, I should let you finish. Sorry. Well, no, I, I'm sure that leads right into it. It's there are ways we can help people that are not going to have access. Um, there is actually a constitutional protection, a state that does not allow abortions or or, or penalizes women or people who get them. Um, if they travel another state, that's actually not, you can't hold that up in court. Um, not that it's out of your jurisdiction. Well, and it's also more than that. It's if you are in another state, you cannot be held liable for the laws of the state you came from. You are under the rule of the state you are in Mm -hmm. as as I read it. But I am not only am not an attorney, I'm definitely not a fucking constitutional attorney. This is just as I, as it has been explained to me. So I know there are a lot of like legit groups out there that are going to start basically helping um, people who need it to get to locations that allow it. Um, I've even seen like, I I wish I could bring it up now. I forgot it. There's literally like a voluntary pilot nonprofit. It's like if you are a pilot and can fly and are willing to donate your time to fly people to states that need help, please sign up. Wow, I hadn't heard about the pilot thing, but the the Northwest Abortion Access Fund is is a an organization that is helping with everything, including like travel and travel costs to get you to states. I think um, that yeah, um, as much as your our our and myself included, the knee jerk reaction was to dump like all of our available funds that we could donate to like Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned more that financially they're doing fine. Uh, there are a lot of smaller regional or tribal organizations or organizations that help uh, minorities, Latino women, uh, black women 
that maybe are nowhere near a Planned Parenthood. Like they can't get to one, but they have small regional services. Those are the ones that need help. So it's going to take some work on your part, but like look for reputable, legitimate, smaller services in your area that are really like a boots on the ground doing work. And I'm not saying don't help Planned Parenthood. What I'm saying is like in the grand scheme of things, they're doing okay. Planned Parenthood has actually said, they actually said last weekend, it's like, we're fine. Donate to these places. Okay, that's cool. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so there's the there's the Center for Reproductive Rights, which uh, is a organization of lawyers and advocates, and they get all up in the Supreme Court's face uh, about abortion related cases, and they've been doing it for quite a long time now. And their website included a. Um, uh, a write-up of here are seven things that you can do right now for abortion rights. Uh, and aside from like donating to abortion funds, it's also donating to independent clinics, uh, i.e. like th- places that are local to you, protesting, as mm-hmm. well as uh, social networking as well, or public speaking mm-hmm. as well again just any just just be an advocate for the people around you both physically and digitally um learning more about abortion laws in your state but that that's probably like a little bit bigger of an undertaking for some people i'm sure right uh yeah. and harass congress yeah apparently there is a pseudo bipartisan bill that is already being put together by um Mikowski and Collins, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not great. It's not perfect, <clears throat> but it's way better than any option they, there is right now because there isn't one within Congress or the Senate. Just, this is the only one. And it, it has a real chance, but you have, even if you live in a state where you know your senators are, are pro-choice, you know your local rep is still pro-choice, still call them leave a voicemail, email, write them, like let them know that you want them to fight for this. Um, that, that, that does get through. And I know some people like, I'm too nervous to call. You can call after hours and leave a voicemail if mm-hmm. you're really, or you can send an email. Um, your voice is always going to be the strongest one. And it kind of goes down in order from there. Voice, voicemail, email, letters i bet resistbot is going to have some messaging about that as well which is strictly text and email so uh and i believe that that um that bill that they're working on is called the women's health protection act okay that sounds right yeah um don't like we're getting hit with like one shitty thing after another and i'm having to tell myself this um don't rage so hard that you burn yourself out. Like know whatever your limit is, like recognize when you're getting there and then don't feel bad for being like, I'm out for a couple days. days. Uh, full disclosure. I called out tired from work yesterday and listened to a bunch of news stories and I'm just like just quietly sitting in bed crying. It's, it's just so much. It's, it's, it's a lot. And a lot, a lot of people are scared 
and confused and don't really have the resources to to find new new ways of dealing with this you know right now there are there you know there are places where they just because of trigger laws they just, they just woke up on Friday morning and realized oh we can't do our jobs today mm-hmm. there are women who needed our help and and we can no longer help them as of right now like the, it, without warning essentially um Yeah. So yeah, there's just you know, I take it one day at a time, I guess. Yeah, if you need to shut down, shut down. Like, don't feel bad if you're like, oh, you know what? I spent all day today watching really fucking trashy reality TV or cooking shows. Like, that's fine. Like, don't do that. Or I spent all day playing fucking video games. Great. You know, recharge however you recharge. Um, I. Kind of going back to something Cable said earlier. Um, this is for for my dudes out there. Um, I get a lot of people dealing with this with like humor, and that's a perfectly valid way of, of dealing with it. But now is not the time for like snarky meme jokes or hot takes. Um, not publicly, I guess. If you have friends and they all kind of agree that this is how you blow off steam, that's fine. But like. I don't know. I've I've seen a lot of like even people that I are friends like post things and and I get what they're doing. Like they're blowing off steam. Um, that's how they're dealing with it. But um, it's it's in really bad taste to to make some of these jokes right now um, because I guarantee almost all the women or people with uteruses in your life. This is not something they can laugh at right now. It's just not. No one should be able to laugh at this right now. I get we use humor, but that's uh, yeah. But... I very much support that statement. I feel like I have been saying that since 2016. <laughs> um, not to sound hipster about that, but like <laughs> I, I couldn't. REM. I could never joke about Trump. I could never make those jokes because nothing he did was funny to me. And I do feel as I, I agree with you that I think that humor needs to be used and we can't lose our sense of humor, but we have to not make jokes about the wrong thing. Um, I I think a perfect example of that has been the, um, the meme that's been running around social media showing, various couples with the the um the tag of we will adopt your baby um adoptees have been very hurt and very offended by that being a meme they're like i had to go through the adoption process this is we're not a fucking punchline guys right i get what you're saying but this isn't funny that's no no it's i i it's i don't see in what world that's funny because it's 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 really insensitive in, mm-hmm. in a lot in a lot of different ways it yep. does it 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 still ignores uh bodily autonomy it implies that you know like your options are to be adopted or be aborted yeah it's yeah yeah sorry that one makes me hot i'm like that's not no i saw that too and i was like i don't get I know where it came from because mm-hmm. I know particularly a lot of 
again, a lot of evangelical groups are like, we'll happen. And by the way, that's almost always springs out uh, out of a form of white supremacy and a subtle approach to genocide. Uh, that is almost always indigenous brown people and black people that get adopted by nice white evangelical couples that then remove them from their cultural identity. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's where that comes from, that, mm-hmm. that, that position. And I'm not saying if you are a couple that wish to adopt a child, you're coming at it from that. They're, they're, it, that is not it. But Yeah, and the, that joke's the, just in poor taste. I mean, that's just it. That's that, that feels like punching down. Every joke should never. It is not punching up. It's not a joke. Yeah, no, the, no. The, the American adoption system has some like pretty terrible roots, and it, the, the the argument implies that that all all babies who don't have parents or who are unwanted for whatever reason get adopted and end up in loving homes, and that's not the case. Either there are probably millions of kids in the American foster system who are just being churned out um, and having really horrible experiences. So why would we why why would we make more of that? Yeah. Um, to this day, I still feel like the only like white cis dude who's ever made a decent comedic performance on uh, the issue of abortion has been like George Carlin because he's pointed the finger at the people who really want control. Mm-hmm. I've never seen another dude like not to turn in one of those things, but like, a, it's almost impossible to top Carlin period um, when it came to that kind of shit. Um, but yeah, he recorded that like 30 years ago and he's, it's still like spot on. So it's unfortunately still irrelevant. Yeah. Well, like like most things that, you know, deny the rights of, of somebody. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, just just keep going up the ladder and you'll you'll figure out why. Yeah. And you know, they're they're not going to stop here. They're just not. You know, contracep like the contraception, gay rights, gay marriage. Again, they're already iron, ironing. Uh, was it versus Brown? The, the not Brown allowing the that, Board of Education. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. yeah. That all of the things are on the table for them now. Um, I saw a um, I saw a. It was like a screen grab from a like a Republican senator. I didn't recognize the name, so I'm not really sure what state he was from, but it was that representative, you know, sharing a tweet about what SCOTUS had done uh, and had tweeted, great, now do Plessy versus Ferguson. Uh Right. And I mean, like, that could have been you know, like a deep fake or whatever, I suppose. But it wasn't. But I wasn't, guarantee no. that people feel that way. It it's right up there with the uh, the um, representative that uh, made the comment about um, this is a great at a Trump with or a rally with Trump that this was a a great day in white life, and then her. 
um, office backpedal and said, oh, no, she meant this. It's like, no, she didn't. No, she, she didn't. She 100% meant whites. Yeah. Fantastic. So the, these are the things that I, I do very, very strongly recommend. Screen capture. Do not quote tweet. Do not reblog. Screen capture these things and blog them originally. You're not going to get the same hits. You're not going to get the same numbers. That's also not why you're doing them. Share the information. Do not continue to give these people a fucking platform. No. Screen cap them and then do what I do. I report these fuckers. I report every single one of them for being hateful, abusive pieces of shit. Because they are. That's a solid tactic, you (laughs) It's sort of. I mean, Twitter still sends me emails that said, "Yeah, they're they they haven't done anything." I'm like, "Then you're garbage. You're garbage, Twitter." Well, Twitter is garbage. So Twitter that, is garbage. That's a whole another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, I had one more thing that I wanted to add. It's Please. it's really small, and you know, it, it probably feels like something that doesn't really make a difference. I don't even really think about it most of the time. But the more people do something small, the bigger the impact can be. Um, And I don't take credit for this. I actually learned about it from a different podcaster who was a guest of ours once, but they uh, advertised for something called Tab for a Cause. And it's a browser extension that you put on your computer and um, it basically replaces your home screen, like whatever your default or, you know, intentionally set home screen is when you open your browser for the first time or every time you open a new tab it now creates this and so every single time you open a tab it has like a meter count on that and then Hmm. and there's ads they're like they're actually really unobtrusive ads but they're there and the whole point is the advertisers pay to be on the tabs and then the money from those advertisers goes to different organizations and i guess lately they have started uh setting up like rather than like rotating uh who the beneficiaries are of the these proceeds you can actually specify which organization you want proceeds to go to based on your activity and so now they have tab for reproductive health and the funds from using this particular version of the tab for a cause extension go to uh, the aforementioned Planned Parenthood and Center for Reproductive Rights. So hmm. um, it's just cool. it's just a tiny thing and it, it, it takes literally zero effort as long as you know how to set up a tab extension. What's it called? Tab for? Tab for a cause. I'm just going to leave the, I'm going to leave a tab open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, set it up and uh, and then just every every single time you open a browser and a tab. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, take a little quick break and kind of want to do a reset and come back with nerd shit. Some, some more that sounds like a great positive thing to do. content. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll be right back. So you have uh, heard us talk about this over the past few weeks, but uh, this episode is also brought to you by the uh, Portland, <laughs> the Portland Horror Film Festival. It kicks off today. June 29th at 7 p.m. and goes all the way to July 3rd at 11 p.m. Now, that doesn't mean like it's straight. They're like different hours every day. Um, so just, you know, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 
The screenings are at the Hollywood Theater Saturday and Sunday. Uh, they're at the Clinton Street Theater and the Hollywood Theater. The best way to find out is just go to PortlandHorrorFilmFestival.com and see the full schedule there. This thing is just packed with features and shorts. You know, shorts are almost always my favorite. They're my favorite at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, also put on by the same folks, uh, Gwen and Brian. Uh, and the shorts of the, Hol- the Horror Film Festival are going to be amazing also. A lot of these are uh, world or at least Northwest premieres. Uh, it is international. There are filmmakers from all over the country, from all walks of life. So you're going to get some great horror from all kinds of different perspectives. You really don't want to miss this out. So check it out. It is at the Portland Horror Film Festival.com. Uh, you can get tickets at the door. I still think you can get tickets online as well. If you're not comfortable going out into public spaces, they totally understand. They have a digital version of the festival as well, where they will stream every feature and short online as well. And you can find out details about that at the Portland Horror Film Festival.com. So it's going to be a great time. Hopefully, uh, I know that uh, Geek and City Radio, we're going to be there uh, in one capacity or another, watching these horror shorts and flicks and talking to people and whatnot. So if you see us, uh, you know, come say hi, but, you know, with masks on and stuff like that because people are getting hit again. Anyway, um, but yeah, big thanks to the Portland Horror Film Festival. Big thanks to Gwen and Brian Callahan for uh, hooking us up with passes and helping us spread the good word about the Portland Horror Film Festival happening today through July 3rd. Check it out. And, of course, our longest sponsor, Guardian Games. You're going to want to check them out, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Um, They got all kinds of great things happening there. As always, when you first walk in, you will see the new release section on there. Um... Uh, all the new RPGs that have come out, uh, miniature games, anything like that. Um, if you're on TikTok, I actually suggest following them. Their TikTok page is actually quite fun and informative and lets you know all the... Whoa, my microphone fell down. <laughs> and lets you know of all the cool new games you're getting in. Or maybe helping you rediscover games that um, you, know, you, you, you no longer play and you want to get back into them. Or, you know, help you show games... Or help you try out games that you've always been curious about. So I sincerely would like you to check them out. Sorry, I'm thrown off by this microphone. Just um, <laughs> check them out, please. Guardian Games. You can also find them online at uh, guardiangames.com. And when you're there, thank them for being our longest sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. It really does mean a lot and helps a lot. And with that, let's get back to the show. Didn't you enjoy those wonderful ads? <laughs> Boy, I did I. I. Boy, did I. That's right. <laughs> I've got to be careful. I still, I listen to it, well, I listen to it at least twice a week behind the bastards. And some of the times he comes to and from an ad break, I try really, I like, they crack me up and I have to be careful not to use them because we are a different show. Um, I just want to scream products. Yeah, products. Or when he talks about like, you know who won't hunt children off the coast <laughs> of Indonesia. <laughs> My my favorite is when he um he hasn't had him on in a long time, but this like comedian who sounds like very like country rednecky Billy Wayne Davis. Yes, mm-hmm. and like he has like a really funny way of so yeah. Uh, Robert will shout products, and then Billy Wayne Davis will 
insert services, but he says it in such a funny way that amuses me every time. I'm not going to try to recreate it because I I cannot. Yeah. I discovered Billy Wayne Davis through that podcast and now I've seen some of his stand up, but he's, he's pretty great. I have no frame of reference. That's fine. I, I feel like, Cable, like you would either absolutely love this podcast or hate that podcast. You're probably right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but this is not an ad for Behind the Bastards. This is a show about us. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd say, how are you going to spin this? Because you're really rolling <laughs> right know. into how they promote their show. A show about me. Uh, uh, do we want to do Avatar first and end with yeah. Kenobi? Sure. Uh, The episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender that we watched are episodes 17 and 18. Episode 17 is Lake Laogai. And episode 18 is The Earth King, uh, which kind of rounds out the last of uh, the... The Bossing Say arc. Yeah, Yeah. correct. So Lake Laogai, the... uh, Episode description is the Avatar gang encounters Jet uh, from season one in Ba Sing Se, and he helps them discover the location of Appa. But when will they end up discovering something else? A secret of the city? Yes, they will. Mm. Spoilers, they, they do. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. So I thought like skim my notes real quick because uh, I've, I watched the episodes twice, but it's been more than a week since the last time I watched them. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I went back and watched it. I think for me, the highlight was the the next evolution of Zuko. Mm-hmm. Um, we're definitely going to get more steps back from him in the future because there's a whole nother season and a half to go. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the literal and figurative uh, casting aside of the blue mask is a big deal for Zuko. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. His uh, alternate persona of the blue demon. The blue demon, yeah. I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Blue spirit, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, that was kind of the, the highlight for me on this one. Um, yeah, go. I feel like the oftentimes the Zuko storyline is the one that interests me more than whatever's going on with uh, the Avatar and company. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the Apadu gang. Yeah, in a weird <laughs> way, like Aang is almost like this blank canvas that you have to make interesting for me. Zuko was already like this fucked up painting that you now have to watch get repaired, which yeah. makes for a more compelling story for me. That is weirdly accurate. I mm-hmm. think definitely the, the Aang being a blank canvas. He's, he's so young and, uh, and also he's been, you know, living under a rock essentially for a hundred yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, it's like how, you know, arguably Luke Skywalker wasn't interesting until, you know, Return of the Jedi. You know, he was always like, I, I come from nowhere and I have this destiny and I have to learn. And No, that's a good point. He's kind of just an annoying teenager uh, <laughs> in yeah. episode four. Which again is the whole point of uh, 
sorry, the the uh, the classical hero's journey and mm-hmm. um, uh, crap. Why am I blanking on this name? The classic Joseph Campbell arc. Thank you, um, Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Nice. The that's the whole point is your hero has to be something that you feel like you can identify with so that you can put yourself in the hero's point of view. Right. And so for that to work as widely as possible, he has to be as generic as possible. Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, people that you encounter that identify more with a lot of the secondary or tertiary characters are probably more interesting people. (laughs) Because they already have a backstory. Yeah. And a personality. And a motivation. And, you know, so. Right. I actually don't have a lot to to say about this character. Like, aside from, like, okay, cool, Jet got a little bit of a a redemption. Mm -hmm. uh, Right before he gets. Yeah. Yeah. Right before he gets killed. Do we know for sure he dies? Um, The implication is is that he dies. His friend Mercy kills him, right? I don't think they mercy killed him. I think he just died. Like Toph's commentary of like he was lying, right? Um, it pretty much said that. But, but then once once the um, once the Ang gang are out of the room, one of his, one of Jet's friends turns around and draws his bow. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've gone back this afternoon. I went back because I was curious. The creators have said Jet dies. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it is an off screen, but like it seems pretty yeah. for sure. So yes. Um. Oh, and then they. Oh, the the other thing is that um, what's her face? Joe D. Joe D. It comes back in this one, doesn't she? The original Joe D. Comes back, and we also see an entire room full of Joe D.s being um created, not created, right. um indoctrinated. That's right. the word I'm looking for. Because well, now, now the kids know that there is brainwashing that happens in Bossing Say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you keep uh, anyone from making trouble in Bossing Say. It's effective. Yep. Boy, is it ever! <laughs> I had not. It had not occurred to me the uh, the appropriateness of discussing this arc uh, right after our previous discussion. Right. <clears throat> Nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. There is no war outside the walls. Yeah, everything is do, fine here. I do appreciate it that it opened a bit more lighthearted, though, because I like the idea of uh, the bad drawings of Appa and Toast <laughs> doesn't know how to hang signs properly. It's funny. She she can't see them. She doesn't yeah. know which side has the print on them. I know. It's still you know it's a good it's a good little lighthearted opening. She her... makes she makes a lot of blind jokes at her expense. Yeah. She, her... she is punching herself. Yeah. I've, I've, I've really grown to like her character a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that they animate her uh, is also like, she's like, she's the most anime style character in this like pseudo anime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it rolls pretty well into what the episode that wraps it up, which is uh, the Earth King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Earth King is the kids battle Long Feng and the Dai Li when they attempt to show the Earth King the vast conspiracy taking place in his city. Um, meanwhile, Zuko becomes seriously ill and has feverish dreams as he faces a spiritual crisis. 
Um, Zuko. So right off the bat, you can tell that this is almost the end of the season because they jam a lot of different things yeah. from a lot of different storylines into this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, the, not the least of which is the, the absolute adventure that they have to go on just to get... Uh, they pitch their their stuff to the Earth King. Like they gotta get to him. They gotta fight these dudes off, and then they have to convince the Earth King that like they're they're legitimate. They're you know unlike what Long Fang says that they're you know they're trying to sabotage his reign. Like they, they it's just like it's just all of these little hurdles that they have to keep going through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I, we must give a quick shout out to the Earth King being voiced by uh, the great Phil Lamar. Yep. <laughs> always, it's always a good time when Phil when you hear Phil Lamar. Like you always know you're going to get a good show, good performance. I don't recognize that actor, but okay. You uh, would. You would. Yeah, you you would. Uh, Futurama, Samurai Jack. I mean, yeah, he's. Justice League, Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, he's he's one of the voice actors that when you bring him up to our friend Alicia, she loses her mind over and will flail and squeal for half an hour talking about every single character he's ever played and how much they mean to her. Phil Lamar, <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, Phil, uh, like I became aware of Phil Lamar because of Mad TV. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Lamar is why, and I don't know why Warner Brothers still won't pull their head out and do this. Phil Lamar is why John Stewart is the Green Lantern for an entire damn near two generations mm-hmm. of, of DC fans. Because Justice League Unlimited, John Stewart is the Green Lantern as voiced by Phil Lamar. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. It's why you have an entire generation that went, who the hell is Hal Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you also recognize Philomar if you enjoy the film Pulp Fiction <laughs> because he gets his head blown off in the backseat. Mm. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, that's him. One of his very early roles, yeah. Uh, and if you live in Portland, you can see his blown out head at Movie Madness. They have the prop. <laughs> so anyway. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, back to back yes. to his character. <laughs> uh, Earth King's kind of a dum-dum. Oh yeah, like He's not, not just kind of not a just a figurehead. Like they had already sort of, the kids had already sort of inferred. It's just a full on dum dum. He's uh, also been compl- kept away completely from yeah. the war. He didn't believe any of it. Like they take him on a train for the first time. He's like, "What the hell is this?" It's like, yeah, "Oh my god!" Extremely sheltered, which is. I was about to say, I'm like, well, that's not a really good way to like make a ruler, but he's not really a ruler, so. Nope. Um. Yep. Oh, what else? What else? What else? So. Meanwhile, Zuko is having fever dreams, and the way that it's explained is that what he's going through is by deciding to give up the blue spirit, he is now spiritually going through. Um, a crisis of identity. Oh, and it, I so thought it's it was having... because he didn't, because he decided to free Appa instead of harming or killing him. 
that, but that was part of it. Like, you know, the, the shunning of the blue spirit identity was the final step in like, he was presented with that choice. And by making a different choice than he normally does that manifested as a physical, um, not illness, but uh, malady in right. him. Yeah. What he, what, what uh, Iroh specifically said is like, this is not a natural illness. Uh, you're, there's a war uh, w- between your mind and your body. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just me, but some every now and because the whole show is, is, magic stuff right everything about the show has like some level of mysticism to it but every now and then i'm like okay now you're just doing magical asian shit that you made up again Mm -hmm. and this was one of those moments for me i don't know about you guys but you talk about the dream sequence stuff Mm -hmm. yeah just the whole like well you you did something that's contrary to, to your nature and so now there's this like magical war happening inside your body between who you think you are and who you are becoming. Yeah. I don't know if I really neatly needed it, but I did think visually it was cool. I think that gets back into you. I I think that uh, that's for the younger audiences that this show was geared for in the first place. It's like, it's a way to show that it's a way to illustrate that this is how, having an identity crisis can feel mm. you might you feel like you're physically out of sorts because you're trying to figure out who you are. Um, I thought you were going to say it was a way to sort of uh, demonstrate that like, like doing the right thing doesn't always feel very good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. All of those things. Again, subtlety doesn't work on us. We're a bunch of dum-dums. We are all the Earth King. We really are. We don't even get the cool bear. Oh, it's just man. a bear. It's, it's yeah. just a bear bear. It's not it's a, a platypus bear. bear. It's not a wolf bear. It's not a duck bear. It's just a bear bear. Oh, bear bear. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to say this episode was filler because it had to tie up a lot of loose ends. Mm-hmm. So we could get like we're clearly getting into the final push for book two. So like this one really had to do some, some heavy lifting and yeah. No We've only, book. yeah. We only have two episodes left for this season. Well then definitely on this slow. Yep. Then we're definitely there. <clears throat> um, and, and then after they finally are able to, you know, convince the earth King of what's really going on, uh, and they determine that Long Fang is clearly a bad dude who's been manipulating things behind the scenes. Uh, a new sort of up top charge guy shows up, General Hao. And he is like, Long Fang had all this shit he was hiding from everybody, uh, including like information about the Water Tribe slash, you know, um, uh, Sokka and uh, Katara's dad. Are, mm-hmm. which is not super far um the the letter from the guru that uh ha, that he had attached to appa's horn mm-hmm. and a letter from Toph's mom and so now everyone's everyone in the party has like 
is about to achieve some level of wish fulfillment, you know, journey, you know, achievement. Uh, and no one wants to wait for, for their things. So they decide to split the party. Mm-hmm. The classic RPG blunder splitting the party. And they, they, like, they talked about like how logistically to do it. And they're like, you know what? No, let's just, let's just each go do our thing. And then we'll, we'll circle back later. Um, only, you know, and, and, and it all goes bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost immediately. Almost yeah. immediately. Uh, Toph's mom, when she goes to meet her, was actually the bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, shoot. I can't remember who stays back. Uh, Katara stays in Bossing Say, right? To help them prepare against the Fire Nation. Uh, I and think then they, so. And then they believe that Kyoshi warriors are about to show up, but it turns out to be the mean fire girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the mean fire girls. Yep. Yeah. 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 I'm sticking with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> then that general that was so fucking helpful. Uh, we see him going into the, the prison or the dungeon, wherever the King Long long praying. Uh, and we get to find out that, Oh, that guy's actually, and the, the whole Dai Li are still loyal to Long Fang. Mm-hmm. So that was all an act. Uh, which probably explains why all these misleads occurred. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now it just seems like everything's lined up for like the, the big conflict to end the season. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's about right. Uh, cool. Not a lot of lessons or messaging there, except for never split the party. Never. Never. Or never you will be punished. Mm-hmm. And yet, <clears throat> what happened? <laughs> well, from there, should we go to a galaxy far, far away? Mm-hmm. I think we should. Yeah, so obviously we'll be jumping around, but th- there will be spoilers for Obi-Wan Kenobi, although I feel like if you listen to this show, you have watched that show. Yeah, you watched it live. You didn't stock up and wait and go, oh, right. I'll, I'll wait till it's done and watch it all at once. Yeah, the Venn diagram is just a circle with the two shows overlapping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for me, started a little slow, picked up steam around episode three for me, and then it really got going. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to jump to the last episode cause I feel like I'm still processing a lot of that. Um, I didn't expect the confrontation, the final confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader a to be that violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that emotional with, um, Deborah Chow, Chow like emotionally nailed that scene. I've kind of like her action scenes haven't always been that great in Kenobi. They felt like they kind of missed that kinetic energy until that last fight. Then it was like no holds barred. Um, Which kind of makes it feel like it was on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that this Kenobi is still dealing with the trauma of you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Not just like, oh, we lost. No, like everything. You know, everyone ever close to him has been wiped out by the Empire, or as far as he knows. 
like he knows Yoda's in hiding, but it's not like he's using the force and talking to his little green buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a moment I've revisited this scene like over and over again. I've like been super nerdy and breaking it down. <laughs> but that moment when Kenobi realizes I have to probably kill Vader in that fight. A, it's not. It's it's funny that like Kenobi in A New Hope is like calls a lightsaber a more civilized weapon, you know, for a more a more elegant whatever for more, an elegant weapon mm-hmm. for civilized age, where he's flat out savage on Vader. Like the first thing he goes for is that chest plate, mm-hmm. just, and there's no subtlety to it. He just slams on it, and then we get that broken face mask, which we'll get a few years later with Ahsoka again. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um. So first off, there's so many things there. Like Hayden Christensen fucking killed it in that scene. Uh, I thought. Considering he had this much to work with. Yeah. That was an effective um, effective acting job by him. I read somewhere that he watched all of Clone Wars in preparation for this this role. He did. It totally Which shows. I think it's fantastic because that's the that's the greatest takeaway from Clone Wars is, is that it really really fleshes out his arc and why he makes the decisions that he does between one move like from going from Episode two to three. It, it, it's 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 not great by itself, <laughs> and then you, you when you put in everything that happens in the Clone Wars and all of the different experiences that he has and the feelings that he has about those experiences it makes a lot more sense and that's that that provided a much more fleshed out basis for him yeah for sure um huge kudos to the sound team that mixed the vader voice with anakin's voice when he was talking that sent chills (laughs) down my spine that was so well done um even though it's clearly just meant to be like a glitch in his suit, the dramatic, like the, the dramatic punch that gave was just fucking chef's kiss. Uh, and then the lighting in that scene, like the lightsabers lit up their faces more than any lightsaber ever, ever has like blue for Obi-Wan red for Vader. Because we live in an age where the technology is such that they were using lightsabers that actually light up. They mm-hmm. weren't using swords wrapped in retroreflective tape right <laughs> like so th- those are the actual lights on them like it, um, which is fascinating yeah and i love how they then got to play with that mm-hmm. um like when vader's talking it's all red like he's just he's bathed in red mm-hmm. and cuts to obi-wan and is and again obi-wan has that moment of like i failed you I, you know this is all my fault and I love it when it cuts back to Vader and there's some red, but you see Obi-Wan's saber reflecting Anakin's face in blue. And you get Hayden Christensen's voice. It's that he says like, you know, and this is not, to me, I don't feel like this is Vader talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is Anakin talking to his friend Ben and mm-hmm. saying, you did not kill me. Um, and then you see that little bit of red hint in, and he says, I killed me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was waiting for that, that uh, some version well, of that. I'm getting a chill talking about it. Yeah. Because um, well, it, it ties in with, you know, something that hope. people had a big problem with in A New Hope is like, oh, yeah, no, your father was killed by a Sith Lord. It, mm-hmm. It's exactly it's exactly how you kind of close that loop. Mm-hmm. But they, they still did a good job of making it emotional. Yeah. And there's even more like subtle lightning lighting. Like again, when like when Anakin says that line, Vader, it almost all the red light comes back to him. But you see little bits of purple and blue, mm-hmm. which is that reference to like Luke believing like no, there's still good in him. Mm-hmm. And that's that like there's Anakin's still there, buried deep down, and it cuts to Obi Wan when he realizes that his friend is gone. It's fucking Darth Vader. Vader's lightsaber illuminates Obi-Wan even more. Just a little bit of blue being cast off Ben's own saber. I'm not saying it's a subtle approach at all, but it was really fucking effective. No, I, I think they, I think it all like worked together really well. Like you said, like the voice blending and fluctuating and then the lighting and the, you know, the, the setting that mm-hmm. uh, that kind of allows for that kind of lighting to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it, all of it ties together well. Yeah, um, yeah. Just that last episode for me was just masterfully done. I mean, and because it, it all, I think a lot of it paid off. Um, I don't know about you two. Like, I really, really want to see something with Riva now. Like after this episode, uh, I would be fine seeing Moses Ingram reprise Riva in any of the current um, shows. Well, do we know what era the Acolyte takes place in? The Sith centric show? No. Okay. I wasn't aware that there was a Sith centric show. Uh, Me I, I... neither. Yeah. I think um, I just saw 13 uh, it's, it's being It's being developed. Okay, then it's way before. That's Battle of Yavin. Okay, then it's not going to be Reva. Yeah, I know that we're like where Boba Fett and Mandalorian are taking place are a good 15 years after the end of Kenobi. Because we've got at least fifteen no, more to twenty. Than that, we've got another ten years until a new hope. Yeah, that, and then from a new hope to Jedi, and then after Jedi, that's three and a half to four years. Yep. And then wait, don't we have five, five seven years, years until a new hope? Ten. Because Leia and Luke are nine, and they're nine. No, they're ten. They're ten. Okay, then we have nine years then. Oh, and they're ni- they're nineteen in that. Okay, I can I can yeah. never remember. I knew it's somewhere between seventeen and nineteen. They're supposed to be nineteen, and then yeah. you got roughly four years of the Galactic Civil War. So we got thirteen years, and then Mandalorian Boba Fett is five years after Jedi, mm-hmm. so almost twenty. What? I misread that, but this can't be right. It says the Echolite is supposed to be a hundred and thirty-two BBY. That's so that oh. puts it in that that puts it in old republic. Yeah. So so that, that's what I meant. Like that it can't be Riva. 
<laughs> right. No, yeah, that, that statement still stands. I'm just like, have, we don't have anything that goes that far back, do we? Yeah. The, on, on screen? Again, no. On screen, no. That That's, again, that is where it gets into the Old Republic stuff. Yeah. When does Knights of the Old Republic take place? Isn't it like a thousand years before? No, I only think it's about 300. Oh, okay. The High Republic, which is the new thing right now, is like a thousand years before. Okay, okay, got it. Um, which, by the way, if you're not reading some of those High Republic comics or books, they're actually pretty fun. They're pretty good. You see the Jedi doing what you always kind of thought the Jedi should do to help the people. Like, it's just not mm. at all about, like, politics and, like, oh, the Sith have risen up again. It's like, hey, there's this, like, galactic natural disaster that's going to make this star go nova. You folks with the Force, maybe you could do something to help with that. And there's other things, too, but it's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Reva could show up in any of the stuff that's coming out. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, It's... uh, God, it's always... And jump in, you guys, whenever I'm just yammering. So if you have thoughts, like cut my ass off. Um, <laughs> I think it's probably because I like the actor so much. But every time I see Jimmy Smith's as Bail Organa, I get really bummed out. I know Bail Organa is going to die. And he just, I don't know why, like I love his portrayal of Bail Organa so much that it actually makes the destruction of Alderaan far more emotional for me. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and this is also the first time we've ever seen Alderaan. Is that true? In live action. I think we may have seen Alderaan in the Clone Wars, but this is the first live action glimpse of Alderaan. We don't we see Alderaan for the first time on Well, let me In our okay. history, the first you, time? You see it quickly in Revenge of the Sith, but that's about it. Oh, do we? Okay. I feel like you do, like really fast. Like then I'm wrong. That's fine. But I, I even I think it's only like a wide shot. Hmm. I think. Um. Yeah. It, and, I mean that's it. Yeah, I just I I like it. It's another know. one of those things. Like uh, cable and cable and I, we had that conversation not too long ago about all the what if stuff. Um the first time Alderaan ever is mentioned is when it's destroyed. It's another one of those throwaway <laughs> things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what do you guys, how, what was your kind of like thoughts on how they like wrapped it up or what? Um, I think I overall enjoyed the series. Um, I wasn't quite like it. It took me a minute after the first episode to go, what is the direction of the show? And then realizing, Oh, right. I'm not getting the Kenobi that I met in the third season of, um, rebels, Rebels. um, who like could take down Darth Maul in three moves because he had so clearly been doing nothing but training and, and had honed his skill and become the, the ultimate Jedi. Well, and also 
if you ever watch the Duel of the Fates side by side, mm-hmm. so the move that Maul uses is the same move he used to kill Qui-Gon. So mm. fucking Obi-Wan knows that that's Maul's like go-to jam. It's sure. pretty cool. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> um, but the, uh, like, <clears throat> you know, the opening episode shows this is like, oh, that's not this Obi-Wan. This is, I've renounced the force. I've got PTSD. I'm depressed. Uh, I killed my best friend. Um, right. I don't know anything about what's going on in the rest of the universe. That was the Kenobi that we got. And it's like, oh, right. This is 10 years earlier. So he's a complete fucking wreck. Yeah. He's, he's halfway to becoming old Ben. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Guinness. <laughs> oh, you mean, oh, you mean old Ben? Yep. Um, that the reveal of when he, he finds out that Anakin is Darth Vader. Just, that was so, so painful. Like it was great. It was great to watch, but it was also like, that's gotta hurt. Yeah. Um, it's gotta hurt a lot. Yeah. I also like, I didn't get why in the beginning everyone was freaking out that Reva knew that Anakin was Darth Vader. They're like, that goes against canon. No one knows. Like I immediately just thought, Oh, she was a youngling. I don't know how she survived the, the attack on the temple. He either took her in or something else, but mm-hmm. if she's one of the only people to survive the younglings to survive the attack on the temple, of course she fucking knows that it's the same dude. Mm-hmm. The one that made less sense to me <clears throat> is when after you know Darth Vader doesn't kill her, but he's like, I always fucking knew who you were. You were never gonna you know get the get the one up on me. Then she goes straight after Luke. How does she know about Luke? Because she intercepts the communication from uh, Bail Organa. What yeah. was in that? What was in the message? The message was uh, about the kid on Tatooine. Oh, okay. And then she just goes looking for like, hey, do you guys know a couple of farmers that are raising a kid? Kind of thing. I must have completely forgotten that from one week to the next because also, I do remember that you know the, you know Chekhov's uh, ill-advised uh, telecommunication, <laughs> but then I was like, how does she fucking know to go after Luke? Uh, speaking of that, can we just talk about the fact that apparently if you give Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru thirty minutes to get ready, they will fuck you up. Well, they are farmers. I. Like, Amberu's got, like, a blaster shotgun. Yeah, I really appreciated that she was the one that's like, oh, no, we got to fucking hold this shit down. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the first, that was the glimpse of, like, we don't know anything about Baru or Owen. We know more about Owen than we do Baru. A little bit more, yeah. A little yeah. bit more. That also, even though their ending is bad, it also makes me think that when the stormtroopers came to the Lars homestead, they didn't just drag their asses out and start burning them. Like, in my now new headcanon, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen took down some motherfuckers before, like, the garrison. Like, (laughs) really? Two old-ass moisture farmers are doing this to us? All right, fuck it. Like, send in a walk. It's like, yeah. Get the e-web out. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. In my brain, like, that's a much more, like, drop-down fucking dirty fucking the wild bunch fight scene than it's shown in a new hope and i'm there for that it it this 
entire series does give a lot more uh, not on screen backstory to, oh, okay, that that's what happened. Like it, it does the same thing for things that it did put on screen. Like we have, like when it was just a new hope or when it was just the first three, uh, the, the original trilogy, we just got hinted at whatever Vader and Kenobi's first last battle was. Mm-hmm. And then when revenge of the Sith came out, it's like, Oh, that's the one they, they reference. Nah, no, <laughs> it's this fight. And, and that means like that changes that whole, whole scene in a new hope. Now it's like Ben already knew he could have beaten him. Mm. Oh yeah. Ben willingly dies in a new hope. Mm-hmm. But that, that has that, yeah, a lot more impact true. now. Yeah. 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 Um, although speaking of that fight, let's talk about the first fight. Can we talk about how much of a petty little jackass Vader can be? <laughs> I'm not going to hit you with a you, saber. I'm not going to let stormtroopers gun you down. I'm going to light a fire and just drag your ass. This is what you did to me. Granted, I don't know why when the new, that fire was put out and then a new fire started, why Obi why Vader couldn't. Other than he's just a dramatic little motherfucker. He is. Yes. Darth Vader is a drama queen. Yes. I say this every time we bring it up. Let us not forget the final Remember scene Remember what one. a whiny little shithead he was before becoming Darth Vader. Now My- he has like fully realized his force potential. Hates yeah. fucking everyone. And uh, has a does like a fucking is like half a robo suit. I Yeah. No. And I love that thing that's referenced at the end of A New Hope. When he's standing like in space with that blown open door with the stormtroopers, and people are like, "There's no wind in space." That means Vader is using the force to make his cape billow. Because <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. Mm-hmm. He lives on the planet that his limbs were cut off and he was set on fire. He built Not his a- fucking castle there. That's right. I can see the Emperor's like, do you want us to build like a Stormtrooper garrison? No. I want a castle. Well, but there's Imperial Specs. I want a castle over the lava pit where I died. Yeah, no. Palpatine. Sheev Palpatine created an elaborate long-term con (laughs) starting with getting the preteen elected queen of the planet that he's from kidnapped that and and then like rode that all the way to becoming emperor palpatine he he understands dramatic flair he indulges vader in every dramatic win that he has yeah until the very end i do love that vader's like i will fucking hunt down kenobi and the emperor's basically like yeah you sure uh, you sure about that uh Pretty sure that's not my vision. And Vader's like, you're right. <laughs> I'm good. We're good. I'm good. Again, good. in my head canon, like Palpatine. Well, I didn't even have to do it. But in my head, I could see Palpatine just, you know, force choking him just a little bit. Being like, I'm on the other side of the galaxy. And, it's a, and I'm a hologram right now. Like you, apprentice. Um, yeah. That's pretty good. Yep. It's fun stuff. That was a good Star War. It was a good Star War. I yeah. I did not think I was going to enjoy it before it started. 
until basically until I realized that it wasn't going to be all about Luke. Uh, that's when I'm like, okay, okay, I'm into this. Yeah, I, I was more interested in just seeing Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan again. Like that's why I was there for. So when they gave us that twist that it's not about it's not Luke, it's Leia. I'm like, oh hell yeah! Now I'm really interested. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I thought it was going to be like just like super actiony. Um, and I'm like, eh, that's fine. I, I want like, I want Obi-Wan pathos. Um, and, and in the end, that is what we got. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm happy. I, I, I was much more satisfied with what we got than what I thought we were going to get. So I'm happy to have been wrong about that. That's yeah. fair. And again, this is a bit more probably reading into it meta and stuff. Um, I feel like the Obi-Wan Kenobi series also kind of subtly hints at why Ben Kenobi in A New Hope is pretty open and quick to trust Han Solo with getting them there because he's already had to trust a liar and a trickster and a scoundrel with the life (laughs) of a child. Mm-hmm. You know, at that end, when Hodge is like, I mean, if you can accept the word of a ex fake Jedi and cheat and liar, and Obi Wan's like, I can now. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, all right. That's, That's why when he beats like Han Solo, he's like, yeah, this guy in his head, he's like, this guy's a total scam artist, but he'll get us there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hadn't really thought about that. I was more focused on, like, yeah, like you were saying earlier, came okay, like the, his final showdown with Darth Vader not only makes a lot more sense, but is more mm-hmm. powerful once you know that they've all, that's them meeting as, as elder users of the force, you know, mm-hmm. like they're, they're mm-hmm. up there in years and they've both seen a lot of shit. And this is, they know that this is the last time for them. One of them, they've already had their knockdown drag out fight where they, you know, where it was about, where it was personal. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to point out, though, that even though we say they're elder statesmen and they're up in years, Kenobi's in his 50s when he dies. <laughs> I know. Vader is in his 40s. So. That's some hard living on Tatooine. That, like, Tatooine is not easy on people. Yeah, that's, the only, I, I, that's I think the, that, the only way I can get beyond, behind the fact that, like, you and McGregor today. Alec Guinness in A New Hope. It's it's only nine years d- difference. I'm like desert living. You and McGregor is fifty. I know he looks fucking great. He doesn't look anywhere close to looking like Alec Guinness did. Nope. I think Alec Guinness was in his fifties when he shot. No, that. he was in his sixties. Oh, he yeah, was he okay. Was. Yeah, but like again, they had not established how old is Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, mm-hmm. he's just some old wonk in the desert with like with a mystical background. I'm sure that the idea was that he was must, he was supposed to be a much older man and then they didn't really factor that in when they did casting for episode 1. Look, sure. when they were casting like fucking Alec Guinness What's that whole thing? There was that whole thing on Twitter where people were trying to re- like we're being stunned by the ages of sitcom actors that we grew up with. Like how mm-hmm. during at the peak of All in the Family, the actor who played Archie Bunker was only like forty eight. You're like, what the fuck? Everyone must remember, everyone smoked indoors 
there was lead in everything and there was, <laughs> and there was like no smog control. Like mm-hmm. human bodies were wrecked until about the 90s when we're like, we should probably stop allowing this shit. I, I believe the, the one that gets people the most is when, when you go, Wilford Brimley, <laughs> the, the age that Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon is the same age that Tom uh, Cruise was in The Last Mission Impossible, which is I to think, say they were both in their early 50s. I think. Uh, I think like Mission Impossible Four, Mission even, Impossible Four, an even older one, yeah, yeah. But yeah, your point but is not lost. Uh, I yes, think that's when that that meme line. came out. Yeah, that's right, the Brimley line. Yeah, but then you look at a lot of other things he's done. It's like Wilfred Brimley looked like he was sixty-five <laughs> for thirty years. Also, yeah. that yeah, he, I think he came out of the womb a, an old man with diabetes. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yep. Um, oh man, I want to see him as a Jedi, mm. but only if we get bad Cajun accent, hard target Wilford Brimley. Oh, oh hell yeah! No. Oh no, no! Fucking gloriously riding on the back of a horse, shooting terrorists with a bow and arrow, with explosions in the background. That's no, art. There's That's no horses in Star Wars. First of I, all. I'm pretty sure I actually saw that in the theater and have blanked out most of that from my memory. You thought the same reason I did. It was John Woo's first U.S. movie. That is why I did go see it. Every trailer was like from the director of The Killers and Hard Target. John mm-hmm. Woo comes to America. And at the Hard time, Von Dom was a... Yeah, sorry. Hard Target's what he did. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, Von Damme was kind of a big deal. And if you were an Aliens or Terminator fan, you loved Lance Henriksen. Like, mm-hmm. it hit all the, it pushed all them great geek buttons. You had I, to go. I did go more for Lance Henriksen than I did Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I did too. I wasn't a big Van Damme fan. No, neither uh, was I. But you give me John Woo and Lance Henriksen, I'm going to that movie. Mm-hmm. Oof. Why is your name Chance? My mama took one. <laughs> Fuck, I'm going to watch our Target as soon as I can find where it's streaming. <laughs> Probably IMDb TV for free. I'll find it. I'll find it. It's on Tubi. Crackle. Tubi, yep. <laughs> Aww. Worth it. Uh, Yeah, Kenobi was fun. I don't know what else we can... Train, drink. Um, I'm out of water. Uh, I don't think we have anything else. Um, no. Um, please keep. Week... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, please keep uh, watching Ms. Marvel. I'm sure we'll cover that when we come back. Yeah. Boy, that's a charming as hell show. And I, Strange I would... New Worlds. It's not too late. Strange New Worlds has two episodes left. Three episodes <gasps> left. Three episodes two. left. It was, they just did episode seven. They're doing 10 episodes. Oh, eight, nine, ten. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Eight, nine, ten. I did the same math the other day. Yeah. I'm like, there's only two episodes left. There's, oh, wait, eight, nine, ten. The cable. Yeah. I do believe the next one is Gorn again. It, hmm. Is that the name of the episode? No, but I think because the. It, it really the should Akiva, be now. <laughs> Akiva had mentioned when he got interviewed by Will Wheaton a few weeks ago, Will's like, have we seen the last of the Gorn this season? He goes, Akiva, Akiva has a, a very shitty poker face. That's why I don't think he tries to hide it. He just, you know, says what he says. And I, you know, I'll just say this: um, 
when I was a younger geek and more virulent, not virulent, more vicious in my <laughs> commentary about things, um, I was not a big fan of Akiva Goldsman. I, I felt like he was an example of people who failed upwards. And there are a lot, there are things in his IMDb that's like, nope, that's hot garbage. And you know yes. it. Yes. Um, and, and you laughed all the way to the bank. He has the face of someone who fails upward. But he, the interviews I've seen him give about Star Trek, it's like, oh, you've been one of us the whole time. You've had a, and you've been actively been trying to get to a point where you could play in this universe. And now that you are, you're doing everything you can to get it right. Yeah. And he, uh, yeah. And he doesn't always, but he keeps trying. No, and, sometimes you get the Da Vinci Code or Batman and Robin. Yeah. <laughs> but then sometimes um, you get a beautiful mind or practical magic. Yep. So and you get Transformers of last night. I mean, look. Oh, he did that Tarp Tower movie that nobody watched. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but Norm, yeah. I don't think we're going to actually see full body Gorn. Well, yep. actually, we can't because Kirk's the first one to see what the Gorn looked like. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's much like the Romulans. Yeah. Like you can't show what they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, the fantasy episode, the fairy tale episode from last oh, week was. Fucking a. Uh, oh. I, I think Merrick put it best, where she's like, "You have a cast full of drama kids," and you said, "What if?" We gave you an episode where you could live out every drama kid dream. And then they did. I is watch. that true? Is, is the cast all a bunch of like theater people? I mean, they're, they're, they're actors. actors. Okay. okay. When you said a cast full of theater nerds, as, as though to imply that that's not common. The way I inferred it anyway. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I could watch Anson Mount be a slimy, sniveling little toady. With great. the worst hair, which is <laughs> kind of great considering he has the best the hair. best hair. Yep. Um, yeah, I, the episode was great. I uh, didn't know that Ortegas and Una as their fantasy versions. Like, are you too close? And I love Ortegas. Oh yeah, oh, we're, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're close. <laughs> we're like, oh, uh, I, think- I was perfectly happy with this being just a classic. You know what? Trek's gonna get fucking goofy, and they're gonna wear period clothing, and no one's gonna be in character except for one person who knows what's going on. In this case, too, mm-hmm. I was not ready for like the last eight minutes to be like, "Oh, were you having fun? Here comes the gut punch." You're like, "Oh, you sons of bitches!" I mean, yeah. good job, but how dare? Yep. It does tie up a, a weird. I don't know that loosen is the right way to phrase it, but. No, but it gives closure to a storyline that we were was going to end badly. Yes, yes, it yeah. does. Like there, like there's like so much potential for heartbreak there, and he wasn't getting um, the answers, the resources that he needed, and so this this does end up being like a much more you know positive, if still difficult, heartbreaking for him ending. It's the, I'm sad I won't see her anymore because I love her, but I'm happy because she's not going to die. And he gets to see her one more time Mm -hmm. 
you know, and to, 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 in, in a way that allows him to know that it was the right choice for her. Yeah. Which was clearly a, a smart move on the, uh, on the, the, for the writers to make. Um, mm-hmm. Because that would have, that would have bugged people. Like giving that immediate closure, it's like we're not going to circle back to the storyline again. Here is everything that you need to know. It's like, cool, right? Now, now we as the viewers and the character of Mabenga can move forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, yeah he- and it, it's it's a little bit in that way. It's a little bit reminiscent also of that Deep Space Nine episode where um, the visitor. No, no, no. Oh, kind of like the visitor. I hadn't thought about that one. I was thinking of mm-hmm. the one where um, the daughter. Um, oh my God, names! All of the names have fallen out of my head. Keiko and Miles' daughter, Molly. Yes, Molly. Thank you. Uh, that <clears throat> there's an episode where she like gets aged up for some, like you know, through some She's like, bizarre. Falls through a space time rift, ends up in prehistoric Bajor. Um, when they get the rift to open again, an 18 year old Molly comes out of the rift. So, yeah. And yeah, the, 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 um, ending to that is that that Molly realizes that she needs to go back. She goes back through the rift, but goes back to the point in time when, um, child Molly went through the rift and sends child Molly back, thus erasing her from existence. Mm. Because she knew... Not that much like that episode, but... Yeah. But kind of. Like, it, of, yeah. it, it, sort of it, that fast-forwarding yeah. part. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I like the, the concept of this being that is beyond our comprehension, finding a kindred spirit in in uh, in the daughter and being able to go, oh, cool. You want to be a spatial entity with me and we can just do stuff. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's like you just saw me seconds ago, but I've been, for me, I've been gone for mm, <laughs> yeah. a while. And then that episode has the most glorious Easter egg ever that the book Mbenga reads is written by fucking Benny Russell. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That was a really that that's like that's a really good deep cut from yeah. a another like really powerful episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, that was good stuff, man. Uh, and we know Mbenga has a great career because I think by TNG there is the Mbenga Medical Institute. Oh, is there? Cool. Yeah, I think it's referenced a few times. He probably discovers the uh, treatment or cure for whatever his daughter had mm-hmm. and probably just kept working on it even though she was fine. Yeah. And then I am such a dork that in high school when I used to draw up my own Starfleet ships and create fictional backstories of each one's model and design, I created the Mbenga class medical frigates. Of course you did. Yeah. They were cool. I'll bet. <laughs> no life. Well, should we wrap up the show? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wrap it up on no life. And we'll see everyone in the month. Yeah, you'll get you're getting new content every week still. Uh, you'll see us. But 
No, they won't see us. You won't see us. You'll hear us. <laughs> I mean, uh, you might see us around town, but not here on this platform. Correct. You'll see us out there among the stars. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you will hear us. You will hear us every week uh, as per usual. Yep. Uh, with, with, some, that, with some fun new content. Yeah. Indeed. But with that, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Bean Rita. And I am Cable Hashitani. We'll speak to everybody in a month.